we uh, are in for Samuel, and we are tracing the uh, characters in First Samuel. Uh, and we've looked at Hannah. Uh, we've looked at uh, Eli. We've looked at young Samuel. And then la- the last couple of weeks, we've been on an interim between Samuel and Samuel. Samuel was introduced to us as a child to whom the word of the Lord came in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And only Eli, a bit slow on the uptake, that's the way I describe Eli. He just seems to be slow on the uptake. He doesn't recognize uh, that Hannah is praying. He thinks she's drunk. Uh, He doesn't initially recognize that the voice speaking to Samuel uh, is the Lord, but he finally gets it. He's a slow on the uptake, uh, and he says, uh, tell this voice speaking to you, young Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Now, and then we have the interesting statement. Turn there, please. First Samuel uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 1, which some think really should be at the end of chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came to all Israel. The word of the Lord came to all Israel. And then for the next two uh, chapters, uh, excuse me, the next uh, uh, three chapters, four, five, and six, uh, to use a modern term, Samuel goes dark, okay? He goes off the screen. Uh, Where did he go? Because he doesn't pick up again until chapter seven. Uh, And that's why I call this message now, Samuel front and center. What we have seen before is Samuel as a young child and that tantalizing statement, uh, now the word of the Lord came, uh, 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 excuse me, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Then he's gone. He's gone. And as you read chapters four, five, and six, which we've tried to trace the last two uh, weeks by saying what happens When your good luck charm fails, where is Samuel? Where is Samuel? As a matter of fact, somebody even asked me that. Why is Samuel missing in chapter 4, 5, and 6? Well, I have a couple of suggestions in that regard. Number one, he was probably a kid, okay? And even though the word of the Lord began to come to him, uh, Eli was still on the scene, Eli was still the head, Uh, even though he was a very weak head, he was still the head. And so we have this parenthesis here that gives time for Samuel to come to his, as we say, majority, his maturity, so he can take over from uh, Eli, who actually dies in these uh, three chapters. As a matter of fact, to show you how Uh, uh, Samuel goes dark and then goes light again. Look again at 4.1, and the word of the Lord came to all, uh, a word of Sam, excuse me, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now look over at chapter 7 and verse 3. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, see the connection there? The word of Samuel came to all the people. Then jump over to 7.3, and Samuel said to the house of Israel. It's like it picks up where 4.1 leaves off. And what is in between? Ugliness, mess, ugh, 
the uh, the um, ark becomes a god in the box cure all, uh, a good luck charm, a magic talisman that. Uh, both the Israelites and the Philistines think is going to bring them good blessing and good luck simply by having the box. And in the end, that's all it is, even though it's a lovely box, even though it's made out of gold, uh, that's all it is. It's just a box. Uh, And without the Lord's presence and blessing accompanying that box, that ark, it is just a box. But people have fallen into this idea uh, that we can uh, localize God, and there he is. And if we have that ark with us, certainly he will not allow us to lose our battles. And certainly he will bless us. And so chapters 4, 5, and 6, in between these two references to Samuel, the word of Samuel came to all Israel, and then and Samuel said to all Israel, are these crazy stories, crazy stories. I shouldn't call them crazy because they're sad. They're crazy sad stories of the battle with the Philistines and the Israelites taking the ark uh, to bring them good luck, and it doesn't. Not only are they defeated, but the ark is captured and for seven months goes into captivity. Talk about the people going into captivity. Here's the ark in captivity. For seven months... Uh, the Philistines say, we, now we've got uh, the uh, sacred object of the Israelites and we'll put that as spoil of war in our temple and uh, no doubt our gods will be pleased with this trophy of war. They saw it as a good luck charm as well. It did not bring them good luck either. As a matter of fact, after seven months, they said, thanks, but no thanks we don't want to take it back. Uh, you know, it, it hasn't brought us good luck either. So that's what we went over the last two weeks. And if you'd like to hear those, uh, they I, I believe they are online. Uh, and I will be happy to sign. Well, how can I sign it? Anyway, anyway, uh, uh, I'll be happy. But that's what we looked at, at the last two weeks in Sojourners. And where's Samuel doing all this? Well, remember, Eli is... Uh, the chief priest, he is the judge, and all Eli is living on a memory. He's living out his last days on a memory, uh, and uh, his death is recorded. When he hears that the ark has been captured, very interesting, if you read that again, he hears two things. Your sons have died, and the ark has been captured. And the text is clear that when he hears that the ark is captured, he falls over backwards, probably breaking his neck, and he dies. Interesting. I think maybe he had even given up on those apostate sons of his. Uh, And it grieved him more to hear about the capture of the ark. That's what led to his death, even more than the tragic news of the death of his sons. So then, as I said before, the ark uh, proves to be bad luck for the Philistines. They give it back. Well, okay, now we've got it back. We're going to be blessed, right? No, the people of Beit Shemesh, even though they get the ark back, it doesn't bring them good luck either. 
because they don't treat it the way it should be treated. Let me just say a couple of things about that in case you missed it last week. Beit Shemesh was a town of Levites. The Levites were to care for the ark. As a matter of fact, it even says that the Levites took the ark off the cart being pulled by the oxen and put it on a stone. But the ark was never to be uncovered when it was outside the Holy of Holies. The Levites were to cover the ark whenever it was being transported, and nobody was to see the ark. Now, these guys should have known better. And, you know, somebody says, well, you know, at least 70 of them died simply because they looked in the ark? Come on, God. Can't you quit this long enough to, you know, show a little mercy? But... The Levites should have known better. Instead of curiously looking in the ark, now, as I said last night, this is last night, yes. Where was I last night? <laughs> as I told my wife last night, anyway, as I said last week, this is a model in Israel, and they can actually slide it back on the top there. The original ark wasn't like that. But they curiously looked in there, oh, yeah. Some of you will never come back to Sojourners after I give the following analogy. But stay with me. All right? Sometimes Hollywood really botches it. Sometimes, very rarely, they get it right. And sometimes it's a mixture. When I saw the closing scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark, (laughs) I see none of you have ever seen it. I said, you know, I have no idea if the movie makers have 1 Samuel 4 to 6 in mind when they made this, but yes, no, it's not biblical. Please don't go out of here and say Varner thinks the movie is biblical. (laughs) The only biblical thing, the only true thing about it is we now know where the ark is, in the Army (laughs) Warehouse in Washington. That's where it is. Okay, good. If you're visiting, you say, honey, you sure we shouldn't have gone over the hall uh, next door? Listen to this crazy guy. Stay with me. I'll, I'll, I'll get it together. Uh, 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 when, see, what were the Nazis doing in that film? They thought that if they could get the ark, what? They could do hocus pocus and magic and win the war. See? They thought it was a good luck charm. And boy, were they surprised. And again, I, I sort of laughed at that because uh, it, it, it may be a Hollywoodization of the whole thing about the ark, but at least he got it right. You don't mess around with God. And God has the last word, all right? So anyway, now, now some of you will never come back to Sojourners again. Uh, and... Uh, They'll just leave room for some more folks to have seats, <laughs> you know, if, if that offends you. So anyway, all right, now back from Hollywood to reality. All right, good, good, good. But so they peeked in there, and they shouldn't have done that. You don't treat the ark in that way, guys. So if you felt sorry for those many Beit Shemeshites who died, realize they should have known better. They were Levites. You don't curiously look into the ark. 
And so when the men of Beit Shemesh, right next to our Ibex campus, uh, excuse me, the men of Kirjath Jerem, right next to our Ibex campus, come down, no doubt they covered it, they carried it reverently to Kirjath Jerem, where it stayed, it says here, for 20 years. 20 years have passed, not just seven months, but 20 years have passed, and now, what is it? Uh, Samuel comes back on the scene, front and center. Uh, look at chapter 7, chapter 7, uh, please. Uh, verse 2, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So the ark is here at kirjath Jerem. Seven months it was with the Philistines, and now for 20 years. Samuel, we leave him the last time. Samuel is a child. And now, 20 years later. A couple of things about Levites and priests. At 25 years old, a Levite and a priest went into official training. At 30, they entered into the Levitical priesthood. It was like a five-year training that they had. So 25 to 30. So we can imagine that uh, Samuel maybe is about 10 years of age, at least 10 years of age, when the ark is captured. 20 years later, he's at least 30 years old. Now he's front and center, okay? Now, our focus today is on revival. We have some visitors here from the south. How many are here visiting today? Not the south of England, not the south of London, but the, um, uh, but the south of the United States of America. How many are here from the southern states? Not south Italy. Okay, we got a southerner here. 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 All right. Now, I grew up in the south. All right. You'll forgive me for that, or maybe you'll like me for that. I grew up in the south, and and I I, I told somebody this morning that I never saw my parents ever go to church. Never, not once. Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, nothing. Never. But my mama, when I was nine years old. I remember she would put, she'd put a, she'd get me up on Sunday morning, wash my face, and put a bow tie on me. And she sent me off to a Southern Baptist Sunday school. I never stayed for church. So for two years, 9 to 11, I went to Southern Baptist Sunday school. I went to church once, and I didn't like it because they gave an invitation at the end of the sermon. And I was convicted, and I never went forward. I kid you not. I don't know if I ever told you this, honey. I kid you not. I remember holding on to the pew during the invitation, and my knuckles were turning white because I knew I should go forward and get saved and baptized, okay? But I didn't want that. My, white, my knuckles were getting white as I was holding on to the pew that one day in church. So I went home, and I never went back because I didn't like that invitation. Now, God had his plans for me. Uh, and then a few years later, it took the death of that dad for me to come to Christ. But I remember the invitation. 
Now, I don't know if it was really repentance from sin that was convicting me, but I knew that I should go forward. I knew that I should get saved, and I didn't. Now, we don't have that at Grace Church. Uh, Dr. John, uh, and I think wisely, does invite people to go to the prayer room, but we don't have the invitation thing because sometimes it can be abused. I remember eight stanzas of Just As I Am, Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come, I come, I come. I'm not mocking that him. I'm mocking me, okay? I'm mocking me. And uh, after the seventh stanza, I said, I wish somebody would go forward just so they would end the song. Okay, good, you know, uh, but not me. No, not me. I didn't go forward. So I remember that. Now, we're we're not going to have a Southern Baptist a revival meeting here today with an invitation at the end. But I'm telling you, you can do worse than that. That's not our style. It's not the way I would do it either. But let me tell you, I prefer that to never preaching the gospel in some of our churches and never inviting people to Christ, okay? So while I say that, rather have that than a gospelless, gospelless message where people are not told they need to be saved. So today is a revival. Samuel led the people in a revival. And I want us, even if we don't stand for eight stanzas of just as I am, I want each of us to face what Samuel said. Because no matter where we are in our Christian life or Christian profession, and no matter where you are, we need this message that Samuel gave of repentance, removal, and recommitment. Look with me at chapter 7 and verse 3. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, They've done this so we, we can't really, it's either all or off, on or off. But, 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 but the old man up here is having a hard time reading in the dark. Okay, good. Oh, is that what it says? Oh, good. First Samuel 7, 3. And Samuel, first time he's been mentioned since 4, 1, said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord. Huh. Why does he say, if you are returning to the Lord? Because Look at verse uh, 2. From that day, the ark was lodged at Kirjath-Jerim, a long time past, 20 years. All the house of Israel was lamenting after the Lord. Interesting expression. Samuel picks up on that. People are lamenting after the Lord. What are they saying? The text doesn't say. But they're expressing some sort of lament. So Samuel says, If you are lamenting, I want to tell you what to do. And his message 3,000 years ago is as relevant today for believers and non-believers as when he gave it. What does he say? If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, notice, put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve Him only. 
and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. This is the road to revival. It was the road to revival then, and it's the road to revival now. The three R's of revival. Those R's are repentance, removal, and recommitment. And they are as relevant, there's another R, they are as relevant now as they were then. They are as relevant in the New Testament as they were in the Old Testament. If we are going to have revival, if we're going to have new life, if we're going to walk in this new life, whether it's 3000 BC or today, we must follow this road. You say you are lamenting after the Lord, you want to follow the Lord. I'm going to tell you how you can do that. Number one, repent. Number two, remove. Number three, recommit. And we're going to see when they do that, God blesses and gives them victory over their enemies. And that's as relevant today because we are in a battle today. And the same battle plan for success in the Christian life today or in life today as we do battle, the same steps are here. We must repent, we must remove, and we must re. Commit. Now, repentance has to do with sorrow, but uh, a biblical repentance, which he's describing here, is not just sorrow. It's not just sorry, I'm sorry. It's deep, it's within, it's gut wrenching. That is what repentance is. If you are returning to the Lord, then uh, put away with all of your heart. It's not just surface, I repent. It's deep-hearted. Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. This is what repentance is not. I went out one day, and my neighbor's little boy had scissors. No, he didn't have scissors. He picked all of our flowers in our lovely flower bed in our front yard. He picked them not as a bouquet for his dear mother, lovely gal, who we're sorry when they moved away, a lovely Christian family. He ripped out all of our flowers. (laughs) And we told his mom, to show you what kind of mom she was, I think it was within a half an hour, I looked out, she was on her knees replanting our flower garden. That's his, that's her, that's his mom. But she wanted to have the son make a full, wholehearted repentance. So once she finished plant, replanting our flower bed, knock on the door. Oh, there's mom holding the boy's hand. How old was he, Helen? He was about three years old. (laughs) This wretched sinner. She's standing there, and I open the door, and she looks down at him like that. And he says, I'm sorry I picked out all your flowers. Do you have some candy? 
she went, oh. That's not the sorrow of repentance, okay? You're wondering? And some of us are no better than that. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Let's get on with life. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, one thing, don't ever tell somebody. You know, if I made you mad, I'm sorry. If I hurt, get rid of the if, okay? If I made you mad, I'm sorry. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. That's not real repentance. There's no if. It's I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did what I did. I'm sorry I said what I said. Not if you were offended. Because your sorrow then is not tied to your behavior. Your sorrow then is tired, tied to whether or not they were offended. You f follow me? If you say that, your regret is not tied to your behavior. It's tied to their response. So don't you say that again. If I offended you, I am sorry. I offended you. I'm sorry. Oh, God. If I offended you, I'm you see that? Lord, if I offended you, I'm sorry. You say, well, that's crazy. We don't say it to somebody else too. Samuel says, don't go to God and say, well, if I offended you, repent. Turn, return to the Lord with all of your heart. Sorrow is not repentance, but a godly sorrow involves regret for what you did. Lord, if we did the wrong thing in viewing the ark as a good alarm choice, if we did a wrong, no, it was a wrong thing. Repent. If you are lamenting for the Lord, if you're returning to the Lord with all of your heart, do this. Put away those gods. See? Put away those gods. Put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from you. And direct your heart to the Lord. Repentance means removing those things that displease the Lord and putting the Lord in their place. That's repentance. That's repentance. Repent and remove. Removal without godly sorrow is not going to be it. You can remove all the idols but not worship the Lord only and you haven't done it right. It's removing the idols accompanied by a godly sorrow. That's repentance. That's repentance. You can't have one without the other. Remo now, removal of the gods. You say, well, Israel, why are they worshiping objects? Because the human heart wants something to see and God is invisible and we can't see him so I've got to have something visible. And we can fall into that as well today. But it's not so much the physical idols. That was their problem. For us, it's the spiritual idols. The idols that we worship in our hearts that we would never be accused of idolatry. You can't find a shrine in your home to Baal, our, 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 our Ashtarot, male and female goddesses that were a, a plague even among the Israelites. You can't find a shrine in your home. But the idols in our hearts are just as wicked. 
1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. He's addressing what? Believers. Believers can have idols? I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Paul said it. No, Paul. John. Yeah, John. John wrote 1 John. Yeah, right. <laughs> John said it. Little children, believers, keep yourselves from idols. Then we must be able to commit idolatry as believers. If we want blessing, if we want victory, and I'm going to get to that, if we want victory, we're going to have to rip out these idols outside of our hearts. It can be money. It can be a person. It can be a, a female or a male in your life that you have enshrined and they're taking the place of God in your life. Yeah, yeah. Money, success. It's not bail, it's more subtle. You know, the old hymn that's, oh, we don't sing this hymn anymore. I'm wondering if it's in there. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. I love that. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from your throne. See, idols replace God on the throne of our hearts and worship only thee. Repent, remove, and recommit, recommit. What does he say? Uh, serve him only. Serve him only. Look at verse 4. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. You can remove idols out of your heart and not enthrone God as numero uno and still not do what Samuel said. Just removing the idols is not enough. It's loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put away the idols, but love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's what Samuel is causing, calling us to, folks. And that's what the Lord is calling us to today. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Return to him and serve him alone. Then what will happen? You'll get rich. You'll never have any problems. Uh-oh, that's channel 15. You'll give your money to me. And I'll get rich off of... No. You may be poor the rest of your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And Luke says, blessed are the poor. When you may die poor, but if you die with the Lord enthroned in your heart, you will have riches that your filthy rich neighbor 
we'll never know. Okay? Wow, what happened? What happened? The revival at Mizpah. Now notice the route of the Philistines. Now stay with me here. I've got 12 minutes, but John went 10 minutes over. <laughs> Verse 5, Samuel said, Gather all the Israel to Mizpah. Pray to the Lord for you. They gathered at Mizpah. They drew water and poured it out before the Lord. Interesting. There's no... Um, command for this type of uh, sacrifice, um, that pouring it out. There are drink offerings, but that's not quite what this is talking about. And commentators really wrestle with this, drew water and poured it out before the Lord. Perhaps it's, it's to be a symbolic uh, portrayal of our pouring out of our souls to the Lord. Maybe that's it. But drawing water and pouring it out. And then fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. They never said that before. They were just saying, why, why, why are we suffering? Why, why, why? We've sinned against the Lord. And when they said that, Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Here's the last judge, folks. Even though it's outside the book of Judges, Samuel is the last judge. He's the last judge and the first of the prophets. Acts 3 says all the prophets from Samuel on. So the prophetic order begins with Samuel, the last of the judges, the beginning of the prophets, and Samuel is also a kingmaker. What a central figure he is. Samuel judged the people, verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, Gathered at Mizpah. What are they doing there? They must be assembling to fight us. We're going to hit them before they hit us. All right? The Philistines went up against Israel. Now, when, when the, when the last time the, the, the Philistines went up against Israel, what happened, class? What happened? They, uh, the Israelites lost. They lost the ark. And what was the name of the place where they lost the ark? You've just flunked the test. <laughs> Come on. No. Ashdod, no, that's where the ark went. What's the name of the place where they fought? And What? No, not Jabesh Gilead. Ebenezer. Ebenezer. The stone of help. Ironic because it proved to be no help for them. Why? Because they were in sin. They went up to fight thinking they had a, 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 a good luck charm with them, but they hadn't repented. And so at Ebenezer, the stone of help, they got no help from God. Now watch this. Watch this. Uh, they went up, and when the people of Israel heard about it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not uh, cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a nursing lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel cried out to the Lord for them, and the Lord answered them. Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. And the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. I think that's literal. I think it's actually kaboom. Man, we didn't face that before. Kaboom. Interesting. 
Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel 2.10 that the Lord thunders against his enemies. And here it is coming to pass. Thank you, Hannah. The Lord thundered with a mighty sound, and they were in a rout. The men of Israel went out from Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. What's the difference? A good luck charm with them? No. Repentance is with them. Obedience is with them. Now they're marked by repentance and returning to the Lord. And when they did that, the Lord thundered against their enemies. And instead of being defeated, they won the battle. And to commemorate that, we have another Ebenezer. Notice verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shan and called it Ebenezer, the stone of help, Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. For, it's very interesting. Ebenezer became Ebenezer. Ebenezer of their defeat in chapter 4 becomes now Ebenezer, the token of their victory. What was the name of the town, Ebenezer, stone of help, did not prove to be help to them when they were disobedient. When they became obedient to the Lord, then God gave them victory. And Samuel says, now the Lord has helped us. We will name this place Ebenezer a stone of help. So the Philistines were defeated that day. So just like in the book of Joshua, the children of Israel oftentimes would leave a stone memorial to remember something by. They took stones from the Jordan and set them up to remind them of the crossing of Jordan. They took stones and set them up uh, at various places in Joshua, it's recorded, to remind them. Whenever they would see that pile of stones, they would say, the Lord caused us to go through the uh, a river right there. The Lord gave us a victory over there. So these piles of stones were physical, uh, 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 visual reminders of the Lord's help, and they set one up, a pile of stones, a memorial. I have a friend who has set up an Ebenezer in her yard, and she hangs things on it of significant events in their lives where the Lord proved himself uh, as uh, a strength and a help to them. That person will go unnamed, uh, and, uh, but I did ask her permission to put that there. A visual reminder of events in their lives where the Lord proved himself to be strong and a help to them. Whether you set up an Ebenezer in your yard or whether you have one or not, it's not a bad idea to have a physical reminder. Some people have tokens, they have coins, they have objects that they got in Israel or something, and it reminds them of their time there. Not a bad idea. You're in good company by setting up physical, visual reminders of how faithful God has been. And so whenever they saw that pile of stones, it was there. The Lord helped us. But why did the Lord help them? Because they got right with him. 
Because the ark was no longer a good luck charm, it was obedience. Because it's obedience that brings blessing. I quoted last week, Joshua 1. Uh, Joshua, you want to be successful? Here it is. This book of the law, this Sefer Torah, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do all the things that are written in the law, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The psalmist put it this way. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the Torah. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now watch it. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And here's the King James. And whatever he doeth shall prosper. Sometimes I don't want to give up on the King James. <laughs> Whatever he doeth shall prosper because I want to doeth the right thing and I want to have the Lord prosper me. But I'm going to have to be separated from sin, verse 1, Psalm 1, 1. I've got to be saturated with the word, Psalm 1, 2. And I've got to be situated by the water. Then he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You see, a separated person who's delighting himself in the Lord is going to have his roots down deep where the water is going to feed him. See, it's, it's all that. It's not just being separated. It's not just being, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls who do. <laughs> I'm separated. Yeah, well... That's very nice that you don't go with the girls who do. But what do you do? See, separated from sin. Saturated with the word. Situated by the water. That's why God gave them victory. And that's, we need to do some heart work, folks. Because there's idols in our hearts. But removing those idols is not enough. He shall... But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law to you is meditate day and night. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. That's when you get blessing. Really profound, isn't it? Did I need to go to seminary to learn that, brother? Did I need to go to seminary to learn that? No. It's very simple. Well, if I had a theological education, I'd be able to walk with the Lord. And if I was smart, I'd be able to walk with the Lord. And if I knew the Bible like you knew, I'd be able to walk with the Lord. No, it doesn't take that. You don't need to go to seminary. This is not rocket science. Excuse me, folks who work in that. <laughs> this is not rocket. You, you say that around here. You got rocket scientists in here. Okay, you, you, don't, you know that. This is not rocket science, folks. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteous. This is simple stuff, folks. It's heart work. That's what it is. You want to be successful in the Christian life? Here it is. Repent. Remove. Recommit. And revival will come in your heart. And if revival starts in your life, just think how it's great it's going to be if it spreads to others. Now, you say, well, what is this about... 
When the people followed the words of the prophet and obeyed the will of God, God gave them strength and fought against their enemies. You know, so what are we going to do? Go out and kill, you know, unbelievers? No. That's the difference between Israel and us. But the battle is still the same. The enemy is even worse. Because with us, sometimes the enemy can't be seen. And we allow the enemy into our lives and we don't see it. One of my parishioners rebuked me last week. Mild rebuke. He says, Dr. Varner, well, when are you going to bring us into the New Testament? I've been telling everybody he always ends with the New Testament. All right, so we're going to end with the New Testament. (laughs) Look at this. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Hey, we're in a battle. It's not physical Philistines out there. It's Philistine and whatever she might do to us, okay? Thank you for laughing. It's that Jewish lady that gave the Israelites all those troubles all those years. Philistine, yeah. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is not a physical one. And I don't want to go political on you here, and don't worry, I'm not. But the real battle we're facing is not those gals in Congress. You may not like them, And I'm not going to ask them for autographs either. (laughs) They're not our enemies. We wrestle not against liberals. We wrestle not against Christ deniers. Well, excuse me, we do because that's spiritual. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's spiritual battles that we face. And it's losing the spiritual battle that's far worse, shall I say it, than losing an election, folks. What if you lose the election? Maybe you'll trust the Lord more. Wonder who who he's going to vote for, Sally. (laughs) Who cares? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And we can get the right president in and the right senators in and the right... And go to hell. Uh, That's not a command. (laughs) We can get the right government in and still go to hell. How about that way? Because our battle is... Now, it's true that physical people oftentimes are animated by... Wicked spirits, I know that. But your battle every day is not a political battle, folks. It's a battle if I'm going to repent, am I going to put away idols, and am I going to follow the Lord wholly? And uh, there it is. We don't have time. I, I mentioned it, fella. It's a battle. Stand therefore with your belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and shoes of the gospel, and the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, 
if our warfare is spiritual, our equipment is spiritual. And if we're going to do battle spiritually, this is the way we do it right here. They defeated the Philistines. And if we are strong in the Lord and the power of his might and know the spiritual equipment, we will be able to be victorious and say, Evan Ezer, Ebenezer, the Lord has helped us. To God be the glory. Shall we stand for prayer? Every morning we have a couple, two or three guys up here who can counsel you, who can pray with you, whatever the need might be. They have a prayer room. Uh, after big church, we've got big prayers right up here that'll pray with you if you need help. Come at the end. Uh, come on up here and close in prayer, brother. Chris, uh, what's your last name, Smith? <laughs> Chris, will you close in prayer? Yeah. Heavenly Father, you are our greatest help, and so we will not turn to anyone less than you for help, for the assistance in the little things and in the big things. Help us to remember you this week so that we can really be committed to you by repenting and by being strengthened in you for the task of putting away these idols and putting you back on the throne which you belong on in our hearts. Thank you for this message. Thank you for these precious people. We have a lot of soul wrestling to do and a lot of reckoning to do with yeah. you. And I pray that you will give us grace to do that so that we could proclaim Ebenezer, the Lord is our help. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you, brother.